Welcome to the first episode of the Unrest Podcast. I'm Madeline Green. I'm Caitlin Stansel. And I'm Carter Coyle. We are so excited to share our love of ghosts and the afterlife with everyone. As we said in our intro trailer, we all share a love for the paranormal and are so excited to share with listeners some of our favorite stories. But before we begin, what is up, ladies, and how is quarantine? (laughs) It's an alternative reality over here. <laughs> I hate it, but it's, uh, you know, it's something that we're all getting used to and working from home and everything, but it's kind of fun to have the podcast to launch. It gives us something to look forward to. Right. And you guys are news anchors, so it's definitely different for y'all. Somewhat. I mean, I think we worked remotely a good bit, but now that you're forced to work remotely, it's like you don't want to. My favorite is to see Caitlin's stuff and I'm like, yep, she's in the living room. (laughs) (laughs) It's very weird to set up in your backyard or from your dining room table and you're trying to get creative with backgrounds when you know that like, honestly, probably no one really cares and they'd probably be glad to see a stack of laundry behind you and know that you're a real person. That's very true. You do have to be careful about the backgrounds though. I was, uh, someone posted in one of the Facebook groups the other day for reporters and like their bra was like hanging. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Carter, didn't your cat come in yours or something like that? Yeah, my cats got, got into, or my cat got into a live Facebook thing and the dog is always like running around trying to poop behind me if I'm outside. It's just (laughs) perfect timing every time. I love it. But the advantages are that you can do interviews with no bra on and no one will ever know. It's a beautiful thing. Or if I if I'm not camera ready, I'll just like turn the camera view off and I just have like a photo of myself and I'm like, yeah, um, I'm just doing this so it looks better (laughs) on your part to not have me there. (laughs) And really I look like a hag. I don't know. Like, so gross. <laughs> well, hopefully the day will come when we will all be back to normal. And in the meantime, we will enjoy some spooky ghost stories that we can That's bring to right. the world. We love this. And we are starting this very first episode. We have named it Lady Killers. And each week we're going to share with you a story of our choice. So this first episode starts with the story of Lavinia Fisher. Carter's going to handle that one. Then we're going to flow into a little bit of history into female serial killers, break down the profile of those killers. And then probably the best part of all of this is that we want some involvement from our viewers as well. We are going to have a real life spook interview. And hopefully as the podcast goes on, this will be more people emailing in or calling us and sharing your own personal stories. But since we're just getting started, we are uh, putting our friends in close contacts. <laughs> uh, we are making them the guinea pigs for all of this and doing some interviews with them about their own experiences. But and it's Carter, kind of fun because like the more you ask around people, a lot of people have ghost stories. Right? Or have, have seen them themselves or experienced something or know somebody who's had a paranormal experience. Very true. Yeah. So I, I think that's what started this whole idea for this podcast is kind of this idea of shared experiences through ghosts and that subject matter. And, you know, you kind of get down a rabbit hole when you start talking about that and everyone wanting to share their own experiences. So that's kind of, all right, well, this is something people obviously want to talk about and share about. So let's make it into a podcast. 
When we were starting to think about what stories to start with, Lavinia Fisher, because she is the classic epitome of a ghost story in Charleston. She's known as one of the first uh, serial killers in the United States, a female serial killer. Although, as I'll explain in my story, that may or may not be true. Um, but regardless, if you don't already know her story, buckle up. It is crazy. There's all sorts of possibilities and rumors that have developed over the years about Lavinia Fisher. It was a hot, sticky Charleston night, the kind where even nightfall barely brings relief to the sweaty day. The cobblestones on the side street still warm from sunshine beating down on them all day. In the heat of the summer, downtown was usually packed with tourists, but this weekday night was unusually quiet and calm. Sarah Jennings was visiting the city for the first time with her husband, and after dinner, she says they strolled down Queen Street and back toward their bed and breakfast. They meandered down a few side streets. They walked past a tall and obviously very old building that looked a little out of place and very run down. Sarah says there were tall towers and arched doorways, and strangely, all the windows were secured tightly with iron bars. Sarah describes it as beautiful and creepy all at once, and she says she immediately got chills despite how humid it was outside. Her husband went ahead a little to the street corner and started reading the historic plaque while Sarah stared at the impressive building, which was barely lit by gaslights across the street. As her husband's voice droned on and on about the history of the old city jail, Sarah heard a quiet sobbing coming from the courtyard of the jail. She tiptoed through the archway and peeked around the corner, and sitting on the edge of the building was a woman, a beautiful, thin, dark-haired woman in a long, white, lace wedding gown. Sarah described the bride as having skin that was practically glowing. The woman looked up at Sarah and immediately stopped crying. She stared at Sarah while slowly standing up. Sarah was shaking. She says she immediately knew this bride was not from this world, or at least not from this time. She slowly turned towards Sarah, who said she was frozen in fear. The bride slowly smiled, reached out her arm, and Sarah saw in her hand a small, dainty teacup. Suddenly, a shout behind her, Sarah. She jumped and turned around. Her husband was running her way, clearly upset. Sarah just stuttered and looked at him, turned back toward the bride, pointing. But she was gone. Her husband, confused, saw nothing, except his wife shaking, her face white and drained of blood, clearly she was scared out of her mind. So the whole Lavinia Fisher story happens in the early 1800s, South Carolina. So this is like prime antebellum time period. Picture the big dresses and ladies of fashion. And the South is becoming a really huge political force. But it's kind of interesting because the 13 colonies, they're, you know, rolling. But there are lots of free land opportunities in the new territories. And they're kind of enticing people out. So that's an economic threat, basically. And people who are still in the original colonies are trying to figure out whatever they can do to boost the economy. Well, cotton is king. As we know, at this time, cotton gin is invented. 
Charleston becomes a major export city. It's the largest city in the state. It's the economic driver and people are in and out. So you've got banks set, setting up the big society of Charleston. And um, of course, unfortunately, the slave trade as well through this area. So travelers in and out of Charleston are becoming more and more frequent. And there was a lot of money in hosting them. So hotels and inns that, that are created. But there's also a lot of money in robbing them. And people who don't know the area may not know like the safe places to stay. Kind of the same thing you have these days, but they didn't have like Yelp reviews or Airbnb reviews to hop on and see like, <laughs> where's the safe place to stay? So supposedly reports start coming in about people who were going missing in these more rugged areas outside of Charleston, North Charleston as we know it now. And people going missing, people getting robbed and beaten up and attacked. The sheriff didn't have a whole lot of proof, but everyone kind of just knew it was this known gang of highwaymen, which are horseback robbers. So horseback robbers, highwaymen, they attack the travelers, steal from them, sometimes kill them. And these are basically a really bad group of dudes and everyone's blaming all these uh, missing people on them. This is where Lavinia and John Fisher, a married couple, come in. They owned an inn six miles outside of Charleston. It was called the Six Mile Wayfarer Inn, the Wayfarer House. Apparently, they also had a five-mile house, um, and Lavinia Fisher was well-known in Charleston. She was described as a beautiful woman with glowing skin, very charming, and she was just well-liked in town and in society. And I didn't, there's not a whole lot about John because he just kind of seems boring, but Lavinia has gotten all the attention over the years. So there are more accounts of her. When you picture John and Lavinia, these are not your, your typical cutesy little boutique hotel owners. The inn, it turns out, is also a hideout for the highwayman gang and the robbers mm -hmm. who are attacking people. So this is kind of where you start to see that this charming, sweet, beautiful Lavinia is not exactly who she seems. Um, we don't know a whole lot about her, where she comes from. We know she was born in 1793, but not really sure if she was um, from the area or uh, lived in the U.S., you know, was born here, but we know she did live here most of her life. And I think you were saying not someone you would suspect would be involved in this story you're about to tell us, but I think that's a theme that you kind of see with lady killers. Often underestimated, especially in this day and age when, I mean, it just wasn't proper to attack and kill people, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so anywho, there is act there are actually a couple of true newspaper articles from the Charleston Post and Courier, which was in print at the time. And one of them describes this vigilante gang. So the people in the city, they're kind of sick of this. They're attacking our travelers. We can't afford that. We got to have people coming in and out of the city. So this vigilante gang of good citizens apparently go to North Charleston area, try to kind of flesh out what's going on there. They uh, think they catch a couple of the robbers and they leave this guy named David Ross to stand watch uh, in the area, I believe near the Fisher's Inn, kind of tell him, like, you stand watch, we're going to take these guys back, and, you know, we're, we're, we've pretty much got this covered at this point. And that was actually in February 20th, 1819. The paper reported that they had success and dragged a couple of people back, um, that sort of thing. Well, anywho, Ross, the guy who's standing guard, ends up getting attacked by the rest of the gang, including bum, 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 Lavinia Fisher. So this is like the revelation to him, like, oh my gosh, this lady is actually involved in these 
highwayman, this highwayman gang. So apparently Lavinia herself starts choking him, smashes his head through a window. Somehow uh, David Ross escapes and runs to the sheriff, presumably saying, you're not going to believe this, but John and Lavinia are involved in this whole thing. About that same time, this guy named John Peoples, who's a traveler, he comes by. There's a lot of different reports. One I read said he was coming away from Charleston, which would have indicated that he probably did some trade there, sold some stuff, and had a, probably had a lot of cash on him after doing that. So he stops to stay at the inn, or at least to stop and rest for a little while, and Lavinia invites him in for tea. The problem is John's not big on tea. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want to be rude. So it's kind of one of those old dump it in the fern when she's not looking kind of situations. I don't really want it, but I don't want to be rude. So he also is getting a little suspicious because she is peppering him with questions. What are you doing in town? What did you sell? How much did you make? How much do you make? Like really personal stuff. And he's getting a little suspicious of all this. She sends him up to bed and he's again, feeling super uneasy at this point. And instead of getting into bed, he ends up sitting down in a chair in the room and kind of dozing off in the chair. He's just feeling like, if I have to get out of this place, I want to run quick. Good thing he did, because when he suddenly is woken up in the middle of the night by a bunch of loud clanging, imagine his eyes opening and seeing the bed in front of him in his hotel room collapsed into the floor. Turns out it was a trap floor bed. They don't sell those anymore, but... This was a thing. John and Lavinia apparently standing at the bottom with weapons and spikes and everything else. There's also rumors that there were dead bodies strewn about from their past victims. So he looks down, he knows exactly what's going on and runs off to the sheriff. The sheriff, listen, you know, I like John Lavinia. They're good people. They would never do something like this. But now he's got two (laughs) witnesses. Like he's got the David Ross guy. He's got John Peoples. They're both saying the same thing. These people are involved. And they clearly have an M.O. (laughs) clearly have an MO and he doesn't really you know he he, he, there's no denying it right like at this point we got to send officers that way which they did there was a short standoff uh but finally John Lavinia's husband see he's so boring I almost forget who he is but it's John Lavinia (laughs) (laughs) he's all loyal and stuff but he he apparently does he must love Lavinia because there are some little little pieces throughout that show he, he really did love her but he, he doesn't want her to get hurt in some sort of shootout so apparently he uh, surrenders they arrest the, the highwaymen gang people who were there and John and Lavinia are arrested too I'm just curious about this trap bed door I wonder where the bed actually goes you know it, what I mean the, yeah like the legit <laughs> yeah the the physics of it very exciting madeline but um i don't know but there's <laughs> these are the things that keep me up at night <laughs> it's probably know. not a traditional mattress either it's probably <laughs> just like straw in a bag true true it's like, <laughs> i didn't think about that <laughs> it's like this place is no marriott like this is not a comfy mattress okay, and okay. the whole the, I'm pit, with the pit under the house is kind of creepy so this is not a place you want to stay so there's lots of again there's some different theories oh one fun one is that the tea was was poisoned with oleander which is a a white flower it's kind of Mm -hmm. known because it's highly poisonous and it's from the mediterranean but it grows super well on the coast of south carolina because it's a 
a more tropical climate. So very possible that's what she was using to poison her tea for her guests. Yeah. So, you know, at this point it's, it's assumed, man, how many times have they done this? Could be well over a hundred times is kind of what the rumors were. So flash, you know, we're going to flash to downtown Charleston. John and Lavinia are being held in the old city jail. They Great ghost tour, by the way, if you're ever in Charleston, the old city jail. Madeline. Yes, I've been on that. You might see me down there doing tours. So, so good. Yes, I love those. It, it, from what I could read, they weren't like in the scary dungeon part because they were married couple and had a little bit more money. So they probably were kept up in like the debtors prison area and they weren't as they weren't watched and, and guarded as closely up there either, which is one reason that they actually did try to escape at one point by using prison linens, like the old Shawshank, whatever, digging out their window. I mean, seriously, this is apparently what happened. But um, John got out, but Lavinia didn't, and he refused to leave her behind. Again, lame John, loyal as ever. Yeah, so she must she must have superpowers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they're they they pled not guilty to highway robbery, but they were found guilty. Their appeal failed, and so they were both sentenced to hang. So at that point, highway robbery was a hanging crime. This is where it's interesting that she's referred to as the first female serial killer because technically she wasn't charged or convicted with murder. They were charged and convicted with highway robbery. And mm. they did find two bodies buried on the property. It sounds like one white man and one uh, African-American woman were buried on the property, but they were super old and there was no, there wasn't enough evidence. I mean, this is not like forensic files era, right? They don't have enough evidence to prove that these people were murdered, let alone if John and Lavinia had anything to do with it. And back well, then it probably wasn't as unusual to just bury someone in your backyard absolutely so so really the whole they killed 100 people theory is probably very unlikely but who knows so while they're waiting for execution or for hanging john turns to kind of this local reverend who's coming in doing some counseling he seems to do some real soul searching but lavinia just becomes even more evil and in the south at this time a married woman couldn't be executed, which is a terrible rule, and I'm not sure if it's even a thing. John, <laughs> supposedly John had to be hanged first so that she would be a widow and then she could be hanged. Good thinking. That's like one of the the uh, little tidbits of her story, but when you actually read the description of their hanging, and I'll read that later from the Post and Courier, it really, to me, makes it sound very much like they're hanged at the same time. So I think that that could very well be a a false claim. Another thing that Lavinia is, yeah, an exaggeration of the truth. It, it happens over a couple hundred years, right? Lavinia supposedly insisted on wearing her wedding dress to the hanging, banking on convincing someone who was there to marry her so that they couldn't hang her. But it didn't work out. No one wants to marry this crazy lady who's who's by all accounts like yelling and screaming and sounding nutty. Okay, so I'm going to read now the actual newspaper account of the execution, of the hanging. And it's interesting to hear kind of the way journalism has evolved because the language is a bit more flowery and descriptive and storytelling. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's just very different than a news article you would read now. It is. Now and everything it, is uh, fake news. 
Yeah, there you go. Depending <laughs> on your political affiliation. <laughs> and yes, you're right, Caitlin. At the end, when I finish reading this, you'll see it's kind of got like a little moral tale at the end also, which is like, huh, okay, we don't really do that anymore. Okay, so here is the actual um, newspaper clipping from February 19th, 1820. The execution of John and Lavinia Fisher for highway robbery took place yesterday in the suburbs of the city, agreeably to their sentences. They were taken from the jail about a quarter before one o'clock in a carriage in which beside the prisoners was the Reverend Dr. Furman and an officer of the police. They were guarded by the sheriff of the district with his assistance and a small detachment of cavalry arrived at the fatal spot. Some time was spent in conversation and prayer. Fisher protested his innocence of the crime for which he was to die to the last, but admitted that he had lived a wicked and abandoned life. He met his fate with great firmness and expressed his obligations to the new sheriff for his kindness and humanity. His wife did not display so much of fortitude or resignation. She appeared to be impressed with the belief to the last moment that she would be pardoned. A little past two o'clock, the husband and wife embraced each other upon the platform for the last time in this world. When the fatal signal was given, the drop fell and they were launched into eternity. She died without a struggle or a groan, but it was some minutes before he expired and ceased to struggle. After hanging the usual time, their bodies were taken down and conveyed to the potter's field where they were interred. The concourse that attended the execution was immense. May the awful example strike deep into their hearts and may it have the effect intended by deterring others from pursuing those vicious paths which ended in infamy and death. Mm -hmm. so launched into eternity. Launched into eternity, which I'm actually picturing the scaffolding collapsing under them just like the bed collapsing of their victims. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of a cool little metaphor. But then the most famous quote about Lavinia, it said that as she was about to be hanged, she screamed out, if anyone has a message for hell, give it to me and I'll carry it. So she must have known where she was going. So it sounds like John protested till the end. I mean, he, he said, hey, I lived a bad life and everything, but I didn't do all this that they said I did. But he asked for forgiveness anyway, which is uh, kind of interesting. So that's a legend of Lavinia Fisher and how she got in trouble. Of course, the ghostly part of it is that anytime you think of someone dying with such struggle or emotion, uh, there's the theory or idea that something is left behind of them. And Lavinia Fisher is one of the most uh, prolific ghosts that people talk about seeing around the old jail, near the Potter's Field, in parts of downtown Charleston. And of course, recognizable in that white gown that she supposedly was wearing. Other historians say everybody was executed in long white robes or gowns so maybe over the years it's been misconstrued as a wedding dress but I prefer to think of her long flowy white wedding gown and the desperation of trying to save yourself at the last minute. Right, right. What's funny is this is actually one of the very first ghost stories I heard. And so I've really? always been obsessed with it. Yeah. I had a friend in elementary school who lived in Charleston and then moved to Greenville. And she told me this story and I was just like obsessed. Yeah. And then, and then when I went to Charleston for the very first time, I can remember going on a ghost tour and them telling me this story and I'm like, oh my God, it's real. <laughs> yes. I mean, she definitely was a real person and true and really was hanged for some pretty 
horrible crimes, especially in that day and age that a woman just would never be uh, connected to. So it's pretty crazy. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if her ghostly spirit still downtown protesting her hanging. Uh, last time I was on a tour downtown, they told this story, a ghost tour. I haven't been able to find this anywhere research-wise, but the guy who was telling us our ghost story was talking about how Lavinia was always described as having this glowing, beautiful skin. And that some historians have now proposed that she was possibly part African-American and that that was part of why her skin was so striking and beautiful because it was basically a mixed pigment and like she was just a beautiful woman who kind of looked a little different. And that maybe when people figured out that she was perhaps mixed race, then perhaps they actually planned and plotted all of this against her and her husband, thinking right. that it was totally inappropriate for them to be married. Now, that is a whole other twist on this. There's also theories that, that wouldn't be totally unexpected for that time in Charleston for a mixed race couple to be so hated that, yeah. that people would want to plot to kill them. Especially if they had were successful and business owners and by all accounts liked. And, and then there's also um, another idea that perhaps the whole thing was plotted against them more as a land grab by the government because where their house, Six Mile House, is now the old Charleston Naval Hospital, which is abandoned and now I think they might use it for some office purposes, but it's it's a real creepy site itself. And that's apparently where the house was. So could it have been the government, you know, plotting all of this to seize a bunch of land in the area? Who knows? But it seems uh, likely based on the newspaper articles that she was not as pleasant as a woman as she thought, or at least uh, assumed that she herself was going to hell for some reason or another. Right, right. So that is the story of Lavinia and John Fisher. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll get lucky one day and get a glimpse of her downtown Charleston. She sounds and- like the kind of ghost you don't want to run into though. <laughs> yeah. No. Luckily, I'm pretty sure I would have survived because I don't like tea. <laughs> I know. (laughs) Now coffee, I'd I'd be dead. Yeah, you'd have to poison my coffee. And so like you said, Lavinia was one of the first known female serial killers looking back now, but it may have been a little difficult for them to come to that realization. I looked into the profile of these lady killers and it wasn't so easy for them to be labeled serial killers. There was an article in the New Yorker and it was quite interesting. It started out and talked about a story from 1988 in Sacramento, California, and there was a 51-year-old man who lived in a boarding house, and he went missing. After digging up the yard, they found him and, well, six other people. So it's kind of along the lines of that same story. Yeah, what's with these creepy boarding houses? Right? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm about to tell you some more. (laughs) So they came to believe that the owner of the said boarding home actually poisoned her tenants as well, stole their money, and disposed of their bodies. Sounds like a serial killer to me. However, the owner in question was a woman named Dorothea Puente. And they didn't believe her to be, in fact, a serial killer because she was a woman and they were not considered predators in that way. Bless their hearts. Yes, there are more male serial killers, but indeed women can be serial killers and just as evil. Marissa Harrison, who is an evolutionary psychologist, actually started looking into these lady killers, and she found that there are at least 
64 female serial killers between 1821 and 2008. They used a special profiling system to kind of narrow down what a female serial killer might look like. They decided it was a woman in her 20s to 30s, middle class, married, a Christian. So all three of us could, in fact, be lady killers. (laughs) Female serial killers often murder children and the elderly. They tend to go more for people that they know, their husbands, their children, where you see male serial killers killing more strangers and they're motivated by sex. The females are more motivated by money and they usually poison instead of killing with force like a gun or a knife or anything like that. Yeah, you wonder if it's like the the young people and the elderly people, those are your most vulnerable population. And so maybe if you're thinking, I might not have the brute strength to like tackle and kill someone, but I could convince an old lady to be my best friend and poison her. Yeah, that's what's crazy is when you do look at a bunch of these stories of these women, it's always like poisoning in the tea or the medicine. And a lot of them tend to be like home care workers or nurses and that kind of thing. But there is no cookie cutter female serial killer. We all know of Eileen Waros, who killed seven men from 1989 to 1990 using a gun. She targeted strangers, making her killing spree look more like a male serial killer. Wow. Um, If you haven't watched the movie Monster, you definitely should check it out. It's very disturbing. Of course, it's not 100% accurate because it is Hollywood's rendition of her life, but it's definitely worth a watch. So in conclusion, we see women can be serial killers and can be just as evil, so do not underestimate them. Never (laughs) underestimate a woman. Right? Especially one that has uh, a reason to kill you. (laughs) I had um, no idea that that movie was about a female serial killer. I'll have to check that out. What? Yeah. I know. I watched it probably in, when I was in high school. and It's very disturbing. Dang. Well, and it kind of makes you think like how many female, other female serial killers are out there that have gone, you know, unnoticed because the detective involved was looking for a man because, you know, yeah. of assumptions. a woman couldn't do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but they, clearly they can. It takes them a longer time to be convicted of murders and stuff like that than the men. And then we were talking about, you know, they they seem to prey on the more vulnerable, you know, like children and just thinking, you know, in my lifetime, women that I've seen convicted of murder, or at least for like the more notorious stories have been mothers like drowning their kids in some way. And you see a lot of them have been abused in their lifetime, whereas you see that in male serial killers as as well, but you really see that prevalent in the female serial killers that there is some type of past trauma to make this happen. So interesting. Very interesting. And, And also, you know, our real life spook for this episode, for our very first episode, includes a female ghost. Ooh, Um, how appropriate. Yeah. Carter and I, we were together on this interview with our friend Emma Talbot. And just to kind of give you a little introduction, Emma works with us here in Charleston. She had shared this story before she left for her new job in Georgia. And uh, it's one that'll definitely give you goosebumps. Take a listen. So 
Emma, you were one of the first people we thought about when we talked about doing a ghost story podcast because you have a real live ghost story. I do. Um, Take us back. Take us back to your ghost experience. Sure. So it happened probably, oh gosh, now almost like six, not six, five years ago Um, in Tuscaloosa. I was at school, University of Alabama, and I was at my... I guess backstory though, this ghost has followed one of my friends. Really? That's the whole big crazy part of it. Um, she was living in a house sophomore year, an old, old house in Tuscaloosa, and she said she woke up in the middle of the night one night and it was freezing cold in her room and at the bo- the foot of her bed she saw a woman. Um, she looked Native American in her outfit and her clothing, um, but she looked like she was dripping wet. That was like a very distinct feature. She was dripping wet. Ooh, and um, That's not good. <laughs> no, that sounds spooky, right? Uh, my friend Ashley, that's the friend who saw her first. We have named her Maria, which maybe don't name your ghost. Oh, yes, we okay. named the ghost Maria. Maybe that's why she keeps coming I feel around. Like a lot of ghosts are named Maria. She's yeah, a spooky name. Probably. Maria. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's creepy. And she sat up and she said she was just like paralyzed with fear and then it just went away. But she did say it smelled. She couldn't pinpoint the smell, but she said it smelled. Is that a common thing with ghosts, that there's a smell, a distinct smell? I've heard temperature and smell are big factors. When you say she couldn't pinpoint the smell, like she didn't know what it smelled like? Yeah, just that there was something like pungent in the air if you will like i mean she's in her house that she's lived in for a year and all of a sudden it it just smell normal yeah exactly did did she know right away or feel right away like it was a ghost not just some creepy wet girl who'd broken in the house yes i think so but i think it took her a minute to come to like she woke Mm. up out of a dead sleep to this can you imagine so that's also why i think it's a little ghostly because why else would you just shoot up in your bed Uh, good point so that was scary. So that, then she disappeared, and that was it. Yes. She was scared to death. So that was her first encounter. Did she sleep in her bed after that? She did. <laughs> she did. She continued to stay there. Nothing happened. Um, my specific experience, I was at a new home that this same girl lived in. Um, but So she had moved. And I was going to the restroom, and you have to envision the bathroom. So you walk in, and right in front of you is a sink and a mirror. And then the shower is on your left with a little, like, jut out, I guess you would say, of a wall. Mm -hmm. And the toilet's behind there. And then on your right side, there was another giant mirror with some shelving underneath. Mirrors. Mirrors. Mirrors everywhere. Um, So I walked in, and I sit down to go to the bathroom, and I just look up in the giant mirror on the right wall, so right across from me. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a figure in the shower, just very vividly a figure a woman standing there and my heart stopped i've never felt pure terror before but that was definitely what it feels like you're on the toilet i am i'm on on the pot i'm on the pot (laughs) is this daytime night daytime probably like three in the afternoon and so i'm just frozen with fear and i just like did you Stand finish up. using the bathroom? I, I, I don't know. I think I probably Maybe stopped. Maybe not on purpose, I think but I stopped for sure right finished there. right there. <laughs> um, oh, my God, Emma. Yeah, I jumped up and went to run out, and it just, you know, you, you try not to look, but you obviously see it, and she was just staring at me. But it was the same type of long, long black hair, like in like some kind of tan brown clothing, but soaking wet. That is just <gasps> the distinctive feature that... 
sticks out to all of us. When you say stared at you, did you see her eyes? Not the eyes, but the movement of the head. She moved her like, head? Just like, just like you know someone's watching you, but you couldn't, like, I couldn't see her face, I so to speak. That kind of makes me want to throw up a little. But, uh, like, you I could think tell I would just movement. cry. Yeah, you My could tell the movement. My hands are sweating. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I called Ashley right after that, and she was like, I, ha- I have chill bumps right now. Like, that's what I saw. So for you, both were you already aware something. of Maria? I was. I had heard about her. I had never seen her. Um, we had one other paranormal experience in that house, I guess you'd say. Um, in their living room, they had huge ceilings, like big, big high ceilings and a big archway. And over it, there was a sign that said, Love Grows Here, nailed into the wall. Wood sign nailed into the wall. Had been there for a year and a half. And we were sitting around watching TV, just talking, all the girls, and it just flew off the wall. Like, just straight down. Like, forcefully. Yeah. Like, very, very forcefully and out of nowhere. And so. You, and were y'all just like, oh, Maria? Yeah. It kind of became a thing. Like, if a door would creak, it'd be like, oh, Maria's around. But I don't know if there have been any sightings since. I haven't heard any crazy stories. Um, but we have a theory about dream catchers and that ghosts get stuck in dream catchers and they they could be good they you know Maria never harmed anybody she might have scared you but there was no harm or like bad feelings um just scariness and the unknowing what do you think that smell was did you do you remember a temperature or a smell change I don't I didn't experience that but I will say the the paralyzing fear feeling if someone has had that then they would know it like you just like fighter fighter flight yeah exactly exactly and like i just shot out of that room you ran mm-hmm. when you were sitting on the toilet yeah <laughs> yeah things you never thought you'd ask him <laughs> on her last day of work um was it a sound or a movement that like made you look in this direction or i think it was that you know the bathroom was all like white and i think yellow or whatever so you're just kind of like obviously you're not paying attention when you're going to the bathroom i guess but i could there was like a shadow something caught dark yeah something caught my eye and she was just out of place and and their shower was like a, a door type that slides like there wasn't a curtain or anything. So you so saw you, a shadow behind that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a clear, clear glass. Clear glass. Yeah, like kind of old school. Like so, there's know. no doubt in your mind that you saw a ghost. No doubt. Yes, I believe I saw a ghost. Wow. I wonder 100%. if there could be something to the the Native American look. I mean, I Alabama. Like, yeah. Who Lord knows? knows the South? Well, everybody. Yeah. Well, also through the, Indian grounds yeah. and, pro- and property. I mean. And the dream catcher grounds. factor was something that we thought about. I don't know. So you're thinking when she moved, it almost came through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, like, whoever had that dream catcher or made it, like, maybe that spirit belongs to them. Right. Now, I remember when you were telling us this before, that your roommate had a friend that saw Maria multiple times. Yes. Okay, tell us that. He would just, like in the middle of the night or whatever would just be like oh she's here like she's in the room like he would i don't Feel know her or see her i think it was a combination of both and but to him it was like a, someone's watching like weird but I don't, I don't know too, too much about his. But he was another person in the home who said, I, I know that this spirit is there. Wow. So was there another roommate that lived with you all? There were, there were four of them. Did all four of you see Maria? Only myself, Ashley, Rob, that's our roommate's friend. 
And I don't know if any of the other girls had. They have. They haven't said it, but they probably would have said something. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, I but think they also. Yeah, stick with we were talk about. We oh, talk I meant about. to tell you. <laughs> I uh, saw a ghost yesterday yeah. in your bedroom. <laughs> Wow. No, Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's of so course, cool. Of course. Very interesting, but it's got to kind of change your perspective just on how yeah. you think about life and death and, you know, what's going on there. Because I knew you were, you know, you were born, yeah, I was about to say, you were born up Catholic. <laughs> I, <laughs> was, up I was. Catholic, I was. So, you know, maybe the idea of, uh, you know, I don't know, spirits and ghosts, mm-hmm. not necessarily something. Yeah, it's different. I also think it's, uh, the stereotype that they're all bad mm-hmm. shouldn't be. Okay. I do think there's really a difference between demons and spirits and ghosts. Interesting. Okay. So I think that's something you didn't that gets a bad rap. I maybe. don't. I mean, I I commend you because if I saw a wet, creepy looking girl in my bathroom, I would never go back. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, it took I, me I a long time to go back in that bathroom. I will say I that I would have assumed evil. But you're right. There wasn't like a movie quality where they were where she was coming at you no, or no, trying to kill not you. Not at all. But not at all. Oh how sad. And I wasn't like terrorized by it after, you know? Yeah. It like was I just think if it was something really unrest like that was in peace. really a demon or very, very bad, it would stick with you. Whereas this more to me is just like, oh, it was kind of a spooky experience, but it hasn't like unrest to me in a negative in peace. Right. It just spruns your imagination yeah <laughs> before this happened did you believe in ghost um yeah maybe I don't know I don't know if I was fully convinced I think I believe that there's like some supernatural forces yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that but as to like seeing a full-fledged figure no I don't think I believed that until I saw it Yes, cool. Emma. Thank, thank you. Of course, it's been a blast. And good luck at your new job. Oh, I hope that it goes free. Emma's story, I mean, after I heard it the very first time, I will tell you for a week, it was hard for me to sleep. I would wake up in the middle of the night and immediately think about Emma's story for some reason, and I just could not get it out of my mind. I just cannot imagine being in the bathroom and like you're in a vulnerable position okay we don't have to get specific but like you're just sitting there and then all of a sudden <laughs> you're just terrified out of your you mind you need to run for your life <laughs> what the heck it's like one of those things like every time i go in the bathroom i look behind the shower curtain and yes. i'm like what would happen if i really saw something and that's like exactly what this whole thing is <laughs> The forethought to check beforehand <laughs> before you're already sitting down. And I don't blame them for not wanting to go back in that house because what, I mean, I have like a severe phobia of bugs. And one time there was a bug in our downstairs bathroom and I swear to God, I didn't use that bathroom for like a month and a half. <laughs> and that was just for a bug. So right. if I saw a ghost, like for sale sign out front, we're done. Yeah. I'm obsessed with watching like the TV shows about the hauntings and stuff. And I'm always like intrigued about how they stay there for so long because I couldn't do it. No, no, I'm out of here. Well, those are the kind of stories that we are wanting to hear from our viewers. So please reach out to us. Uh, We want to be able to use your story at the end of each episode and, you know, show that everyone kind of has their own personal experience with something a little spooky. Well, y'all, that is it for the first episode of the Unrest Podcast. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Don't forget, if you have your own spooky story to tell and to share with us, then uh, shoot us an email. That email is theunrestpodcast at gmail.com 
or you can call us and leave a voicemail, basically your story in its entirety that we can play here at the end of the episode. That phone number is 843-564-2101. Again, give us a call at 843-564-2101. Stay safe, stay healthy. I'm Carter Coyle. I'm Caitlin Stansel. And I'm Madeline Green. Unrest Unrest in in peace. peace.